One of my natural gifts is underestimating how long a project that I'm about to begin will take, and it's just something that I've come to come to accept, and I've tried to change it, but it, it just doesn't work. I'll look at a project that I'm about to do, and I'll think, that'll take about an hour, and 12 hours later, with five trips to the hardware store and three tools thrown across the garage, the project will finally be completed and, and I'll be done. But it's just something that I've, I've come to accept and, and I've come to learn about myself is I am horrible at looking at a project and trying to ballpark how long that project is going to take me. Before I fully came to this realization, there was a project that my wife and I had discussed that we were going to do at some point. We wanted to update the look of our house a little bit, and so we decided we were going to paint the shutters. And so we talked about this off and on, but my wife and I don't really work on projects well together. We love each other. We're on the same team and frequently on the same page, but we're just not great at working on the same project. We have different ways that we like to go about doing these things. So one morning, I went to the hardware store, and I picked up some paint for the shutters. And I brought it home and got home. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to go paint the shutters. She said, what? I said, I'm going to go paint the shutters. And so I got the ladder out, and I climbed up, and I began to take off the first shutter on our second story. And there's a, a roof over our front porch, so I'm standing on the roof. And the YouTube video made it look a lot easier to get the shutter off the house, but I eventually got it. And what the YouTube video also failed to mention was that bees would have taken residence behind every shutter that we own. And of course, I don't have any bee spray or anything, so I'm just standing up there praying I don't get stung while they're swarming around my head. And for everyone who said, hey, the world has a really big problem with a reduced bee population, I would say, just come over to my house. We found them all. But there they were. And so they're just swarming around my head. And all of a sudden, I hear, hey, what are you doing? And Brooke had come outside, and she was standing by the ladder. And I said, I'm painting the shutters. She said, now? I said, yeah, why? She said, well, I have to go to work in an hour, and I'd really like to not have to return home and find your dead body in the driveway. And I said, don't worry about it, babe. I'll die on the sidewalk. And uh, she wasn't really amused by that response. But I just said, look, this, what are you going to do? You're not going to climb up the ladder. You're not going to come up here and, and do this job with me. And we had two fights that day. Two fights over the shutter project. One was when it started, and the other was it was starting to get dark. And she thought for some reason I shouldn't try this project in the dark. And I'm not really sure why. I told her I have a flashlight on my phone. Everything will be fine. And she said, I've got, you guys are on Brooke's team here. Have a little, have a little more faith in me. And she said, I've got to leave. You've got to be done now. And it just reminds me that 90% of the fights that we have in our relationship are not about what we're going to do. It's about when we're going to do something. Now, I don't know. I know that's anecdotal. So I don't know if most relationships are that way or not. I tend to think they are. I tend to think most people fall in love with someone because you're generally on the same page about things and you have, you have perspectives that align. And, and so based on those similar perspectives and mutual interests, you, you fall in love and, 
and then you carry that hopefully into your relationship and into your marriage. So I think a lot of people, when we have arguments in our marriage, it's not so much what we're going to do, and, and there's certainly times and situations where those fights do happen, but I think it's, it's more frequent, at least it is in my relationship, for when we're going to do something. The timing of the choices and decisions that we have to make. That's where 90% of the fights that we face happen, is over when. And this morning we're going to talk about what happens when we just can't get on the same page within the context of relationships. And over the last few weeks we've looked at relationships and we've seen God's design. And then really over the course of the last couple of weeks, we've started to do a deep dive. We start to dial in on some of the common problems that we see, not just anecdotally, certainly anecdotally in, in what we see, but also statistically some of the common problems that happen within relationships that ultimately drive relationships to fail and some of the main reasons for divorce. And this morning, we're going to continue that deep dive, and we're going to look at one of those. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can find in whatever app store you utilize. And once it's installed on your device, there are a number of great features in the Bible app. The feature that we use together every single week is called events. And after you open up the events tab, you can either enable your locations or just write in Lakeside Algoma will pop up. You can follow along with us that way this morning. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Song of Solomon, Song of Solomon chapter 5. If you're joining us via the stream this morning, thanks so much for watching. My name is Brian. I'm part of the team here at Lakeside. The verses will be available for you on the screen below as we continue our deep dive into some of the frequent causes of strife and marriages breaking apart. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at the first, and that's the family dynamics, relationships with in-laws, relationships with kids, and how all of those stressors come together. Then last week, we looked and we saw that finances. Finances is another major contributor to marriages ending. And today, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about sexual problems, and we're going to talk about intimacy, lack of intimacy, issues that surround intimacy, and how these issues go to really the corrosion and the breakdown of many relationships as well. Now, before we dive in to Song of Solomon chapter 5, because we're not journeying through the whole book of Song of Solomon together, I want to give you just a little bit of background. Song of Solomon was written by Solomon, and in verse 1 of Song of Solomon, he calls Song of Solomon the Song of Songs meaning it is the best song he wrote. It's the best song he ever wrote. Now, maybe some of you are thinking right now, well, if it's the only song he wrote, okay, that's really not that impressive. Like, if I just created a song this morning in the shower and that's the only song I ever wrote in my life, that's the best song I ever wrote. Well, First, first Kings 4.32 lets us know that, that Solomon wrote 1,005 songs in his life. 1,005 songs, and out of every one of those songs, the very best song that he wrote is Song of Solomon. And what is Song of Solomon all about? It's all about intimacy, and frankly, sexual, sexual content. That's the best song that he wrote, Song of Solomon. And Song of Solomon 4, Solomon is praising the beauty of his wife. He's praising her immense beauty, and she ends the chapter with an invitation for him. And she said, and I quote, come to his garden and eat its choicest fruit. 
That is what she said to Solomon to end Song of Solomon chapter 4. He's telling her how beautiful she is. She tells him, come to, come to your garden and eat its choicest fruits. And then we get to Song of Solomon chapter 5, beginning in the first part of verse 1, where we read these words, and this is Solomon speaking. I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. So we're going to stop right here. And we have to recognize right off the bat, and I'm sure that all of us do, that some of these cultural descriptors, they don't really correlate well to our society. They don't correlate well to our society. For instance, I would never in a million years call my wife my sister. Not going there, not going to do it. It's, it's disturbing, quite frankly. So it, it's, just, it's just something that's off the table. I don't know when the last time you gentlemen trying to impress your wife came home with a little, little myrrh, some spice honeycomb, you know. Uh, but chances are, if you did that within the last 50 years, you're a trendsetter. So what you have to understand, what you have to understand is some of these things don't correlate well to our society. So when Solomon says, hey, I showed up with myrrh, with spice honeycomb, with honey, he's got the equivalent of flowers, he's got some wine, some chocolate, he's setting the mood. And when he calls his wife his sister, he's not trying to be disturbing, it's, it's a way to describe her and saying we are on the same page of things. And essentially what Solomon is doing is he's saying, you've invited me and I'm ready. You've invited me. I love you. Here's some flattery. I'm bringing the flowers. I'm bringing the wine. I'm bringing the chocolate. Let's have some romance. I'm ready. And then we get to the second part of verse 1, which is, remember, this is, this is a song, so this is a chorus of people. And the chorus of people respond with this, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. So what we see is the chorus or the choir is rooting, they're rooting for Solomon and his bride to enjoy life and each other. And this is just another reminder to us that sex is part of God's design. It's part of God's design, and it's, it's not something that we have to be ashamed of or secretive about. No, sex is part of God's design, and it should be celebrated. It should operate within the context of the restrictions that God gave us because it's so powerful and because it's such a wonderful gift. God knew that he had to put some restrictions in place to protect us, to protect our hearts, to protect others, and so he put those restrictions in place. But as long as we're operating within those restrictions, it is something that we can freely enjoy without being embarrassed or ashamed about. This is inspired by God. This is scripture. And here there's a crowd of people who are celebrating celebrating that Solomon and his wife are doing what God has designed them to do and what the gift that God has given to them. And then we get to verse first part of verse 2. And this is the bride or her now speaking. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. 
So she invites Solomon. Solomon shows up. He flatters her. He has the chocolate. He has the wine. He has the flowers. The chorus is singing, yes, celebrate this. And now we get to her perspective. And she's asleep. And she, she wakes up. And she hears a sound. And the sound is Solomon. And he starts knocking. Now, in that society, especially in a royal context, there would be different bedrooms that husbands and wives would not sleep in the same bed. They wouldn't sleep in the same room. They would sleep in different bedrooms, especially in a royal context. So Solomon has his bedroom. His wife has her bedroom. He goes to her room. She's asleep. He knocks on the door. He is ready for romance. He knocks on the door. Then we get to the second part of verse 2, and this is Solomon speaking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. Solomon makes his intentions clear, what he is all about. He makes it clear why he is there. And again, he flatters her. He flatters her. He's telling her, you're beautiful. I love you. But he makes his intentions clear for why he is there. And then we get to verse 3, and this is his wife. I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? Solomon shows up. He knocks on the door. She wakes up. He flatters her, and her response is, already in my pajamas I've all I've already I've already showered He's trying to initiate and she rejects him And then we get to verse 4 My beloved put his hand to the latch and my heart was thrilled within me Solomon wants to convince her to be intimate She says uh I'm in my pajamas. I've showered. Solomon's thinking, are you kidding me? You told me to to come to the garden, and I brought the flowers. I brought the chocolate. I've been telling you how much I love you, how, how beautiful you are. And she says no, and then he pushes against the door, not in a violent way, not in an abusive way. And we know that because of the end part of verse 4. And my heart was thrilled within me. And now she goes from the place of saying, but I'm in my pajamas and I've already showered, to all of a sudden she becomes excited when she recognizes Solomon's desire. And this is her speaking now in verse 5. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh, on the handles of the bolt. She gets out of bed, and she now wants to have intimacy. She now wants to have sex with her husband. And notice, this isn't just obligation sex, going through the motions. She's actually excited about it. She's moved from the place where she's saying, absolutely not, I'm in my pajamas, I've showered, to she gets out of bed, and she's excited, and she, and she says that my, my hands dripped with myrrh, and my fingers with liquid myrrh, as she goes over to the door, to undo the lock, and to let Solomon into the room. And I opened my beloved, 
but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. She goes to the door, and Solomon has now left. And this is a dynamic that every relationship has experienced. This is a dynamic that every single relationship has experienced, where one person's in the mood and the other isn't. Maybe it's that day that you're at work and all of a sudden you get a text and all of a sudden your day at work just got a whole lot better because you've been given a glimpse or you've been given a promise for what awaits you later on when you get home and you are just walking on air through the workday and you just can't. You just can't even wait. You get home and dinner's fantastic and you're doing the dishes and you're excited and you're having conversation with everyone and you put the kids to bed and it's nine o'clock and you look over and there's the person who sent you the text and they're in bed and they're in their pajamas and they've already showered and they forgot about that text that they sent you hours ago. And all of a sudden, what you have not forgotten about has been forgotten. Maybe it's the pressure of dealing with the kids. Just the constant needing things, the, the constant responsibility that's there, having, having to watch them at one age, or maybe they've grown up and now their needs are different, but maybe it's just the tension of dealing with kids who think they know more than you and think that you're the dumbest person who's ever lived and the emotional toll that that takes. Or maybe it's just the household responsibilities have grown way more than you ever thought and you thought a project was going to take 10 minutes and here you are six hours later and that's not what you'd signed up for. It's not really what you thought or maybe it's the tension at work. You've been just pouring into this project and you can't leave it behind and you can't shake it, and it's requiring way more of you than you ever thought it was going to require, and you can't change your headspace. You can't find the time to to just turn it off and to get away from it. Maybe it's you're just tired. You just go and through life, and you just reach that point where all of a sudden you didn't sleep well the night before, or you did, and for whatever reason you just are exhausted, or, or maybe you had a great dinner, and maybe it was too great, and now you just feel bloated and disgusting, and you're like, the last thing I want is for someone to touch me right now. This is no, just, just no. Let's, or maybe it's something else entirely. But every relationship that has ever existed has experienced this dynamic. And notice what the response is. And this is a frequent response that we see in the, in, when this dynamic happens as well. What's Solomon's response? Is to leave. He leaves. She opens the door. She is now ready, but their desire couldn't align. And when she opens the door, Solomon is now gone. And this often happens first emotionally. This oftentimes happens first emotionally in the relationship, where there's misalignment, or people feel like they're not valued, or their advances are constantly rejected. And all of a sudden, what happens is emotional distance forms. 
Normally, physical distance follows emotional distance. Not always, but normally where trouble begins is the emotional distance begins. And all of a sudden, you say to yourself, I'm going to give a little bit less than my best to this person. I'm starting to feel taken advantage of. I'm starting to feel like I'm not loved. I'm not cherished. I'm not valued. And we begin to allow walls to grow up in our hearts. And before you know it, we're sleeping back to back, or we're not even sleeping in the same room anymore, and that distance forms. And after the emotional distance forms, frequently what happens is physical distance then begins to form. We're, we're, never, we're never intimate. We, we don't have a sex life to speak of, and, and then that can lead to infidelity, adultery, you name it. We continue in verse 7. The watchmen found me, the bride says, as they went about in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my veil. Those watchmen of the walls. Now remember, this is a song, which means it's poetic. We're almost certainly not referring to the bride actually being beaten. One, because of Solomon's rank and what would have happened to the people who would have physically assaulted her. So it's almost assuredly not referring to a physical being, but instead to feelings of guilt, of being exposed, and feelings of regret. And anybody who's struggled or suffered with those feelings of guilt or, or being exposed or regret knows oftentimes the toll that that takes is even worse than, than a physical beating. And that's where she finds herself here. Where Solomon is gone and she is now full of guilt and regret. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick with love. And here she does something interesting. She now pleads. She pleads with onlookers, if you see my husband, tell him how much I love him. If you see my husband, tell him how much I desire him. So here, here's what I'm begging every single one of you who are in a relationship to do today. Is don't wait. Don't wait until there's that distance don't wait until it's a last-ditch effort. Don't wait until you're crying out to somebody else. You today, tell the, tell the spouse that God has given you how much you love them and what you love about them. And be specific. And I know some people thrive on, on words of affirmation, or some people are, are all about it and they're energized by that, and other people are like, oh, okay, thanks. And so you might think, well, that, you know, them being told how I appreciate them or, or what I admire and love about them isn't going to mean that much. All the more you need to do it to that person who's like, oh, okay, thanks. Because it's probably been a really long time since you have. So today, make that, just in, invest that time, just an intentional conversation. Here's what I love about you. Here's what I appreciate about you. Here's why I'm thankful that God brought you in my life. Don't wait until that emotional distance is there. Don't wait until it's a last-ditch effort. Don't wait until you're crying out for anybody to, to hear these, to, to please relay this message. You do it. 
intentionally. And then the others respond in verse 9. What is your beloved more than another beloved, O most beautiful among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus adjure us? And in the, the chorus or the choir, they ask a question. Well, what's so special about him? What's so special about Solomon? And she responds. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water bathed in milk sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice is the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. They said, tell us what's so great about your husband. She says, okay. I will. And she goes on to sing his praises for seven verses. Tells them what's so great about him. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, well, can't really use this list. Because my husband's bald and he's got biceps the size of Brian's, so that's not really going to work all that much. But what I would encourage you to do is to make intentional time with just you and your spouse and tell them what you love about them. About who they are. Tell them what you appreciate about their appearance. Tell them the things that, about them that you desire. If, if you had right now, if you had to write seven verses about your spouse, and I recognize not everyone's an author or a poet, but if you had to write seven verses about the beauty and the personality of the person that God has blessed you to spend the rest of your life with, could you? Here's what happens. We walk through life and we get tired. And all of a sudden, things become familiar. And when that happens, we begin to operate on cruise control. But when we get to that point, we start to take other people for granted. And we start to forget some of the incredible things about the person that we love. And we start to think, well, they already know. They know that that's true. And the challenge is for you to remind them. 
Be specific. Be explicit. It's your spouse. You're allowed. Have that conversation with them. Tell them why. I know because we're two people coming together in a relationship that sometimes our priorities, sometimes our time frames, sometimes our feelings, they aren't always going to align. But make your spouse a priority. Fight against that emotional separation. Before it gets physical, fight against it. When it's at the emotional stage, And if they're initiating, if they're trying to start things and you aren't in the mood or it doesn't work for you, don't just say no. Don't just reject. Redirect. And offer a time that would be better for you. Offer a time you'll feel more in the mood. Offer a time where there will be less distractions. And then actually honor it. Don't just say, oh, I'm not feeling it today, but we'll get there tomorrow. And then tomorrow rolls around and, oh, yeah, well, no. It's okay to redirect. But rejection is not part of God's design. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 7. That if there's going to be a period of time where intimacy doesn't occur within the context of of marriage, that it needs to be short and it needs to be spiritual. So don't reject. Redirect and actually honor that. And see the best. See the best in your spouse. Remember why you fell in love with them the first place. Rediscover all the incredible attributes and things about them. And not just remind yourself, but remind them as well. And I know you're like, ah, oh, but they already know. Tell them anyway. Tell them anyway. But they don't want to hear it. Tell them anyway. Tell them anyway. And may we, Every single one of us who has the incredible opportunity and obligation to love our spouse, let us love them well. Let us make sure that every wife of every husband and every husband of every wife of, of people that love and follow Jesus, that they know that, yeah, they're loved and valued by God also by their spouse. And we fight against this emotional separation. And we fight against physical separation. And we are united on the same page together as God designed. God, I pray that you would help us have the best relationships I pray, God, 
that our spouses would know that they are loved and they are valued. That we would be quick to encourage. That intimacy would be a priority. God, that we would follow your design. Follow your plan. I pray you would help us love one another well and convey that love. That we would be quick to share what we value and what we appreciate. And we put an emphasis on time together. God, help us as we strive to follow your plan and bless our relationships. For your glory, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.